Engagement in action. The best way of securing what you want is to make sure that the people who have a shared future with you get what they want. Discovering the relationships between Rhodes University and the communities that surround it. I envisage engaged research as a catalyst. This time, Professor Tali Palmer. I'm Tally Palmer. I'm the director of the Institute for Water Research at Rhodes University. And the institute also includes the Unilever Centre for Environmental Water Quality, which I founded and started, which is now looked after by Dr. Nelson Odume. The interviewer is Jane Morgan. Water is on everybody's minds at the moment. Finally, everyone, because it's now affecting them personally, have woken up to the fact that water in this country is a, is a huge issue. And, of course, it is very much an issue for where we are right now in Grahamstown. How has that impacted on your life as someone who works in this area all the time and has done for a long time? It's very encouraging and very exciting to find that the language you use is becoming a lingua franca. It's becoming a language that is used on the streets and by people and whose experience resonates with what you're talking about. So for me, um, I started out as an ecologist and a some people might even say, you know, a bunny-hugging greenie. But it mattered to me passionately that we look after the world. And as soon as I began to work on water, you could see that water was the great integrating factor. One of the things that unites humanity, if you think of it, every other single human being on the planet at the moment lives in a catchment. You are upstream of somebody or downstream of somebody. You are affected by that space in which you live in connection with water. So... In a way, then, what you do and what you've devoted your life to doing is the sort of ultimate community engagement in just the same way as everybody needs air to breathe, everybody needs water mm. to exist. Community engagement is, is everything that you do. Would that be fair to say? I think so. I think everybody's um, arrival or present state of being started with a journey. And so from working on the very small insects that live under stones in rivers that most people haven't seen, um, and writing papers about them, because academics write papers that end up in journals and quite often sit on shelves, I was inordinately lucky to be drawn into the Water Law Review in the first democratic government. And in working with um, the then minister, Professor Carter Osmal, I was exposed to this idea of law as an enabler, as a new framing of possibility. But it catapulted me into a world where it wasn't just about the ecosystem, it wasn't just the story of the river, it was the story of everyone, the politician, the forestry manager, the industrial captain, the manager of a factory, the agriculturalist. And you were writing out of a set of principles that said your primary principles were equity, fairness to everybody, and fairness to the environment in the future, sustainability for people, for their enterprises, and for your ecosystem, and efficiency, the wise use of water. So efficiency doesn't mean extracting every drop for profit. Efficiency means the wisdom of how to share a limited resource. And out of that, I realized 
you need to be able to create a language and a way of speaking that was invitational, that brought people into the space of their personal experience of water, but also the experience of others, and the notion of sharing. The challenge of sharing water, which is the fundamental of life, is not a trivial thing. We do not share automatically. And so the process by which we learn, and this for me is one of the most important phrases, and it was given to me by Professor Kevin Rogers, who's an emeritus professor at WITS, is this. It's the best way of securing what you want is to make sure that the people who have a shared future with you get what they want. So sharing doesn't become sharing an a resource, an entity now, sharing becomes our shared future. How possible is it for you as an academic to influence those areas that you have to influence? Because water is a resource that isn't just freely available. People have to pay mm. for it. It requires infrastructure. There's power mm. involved. There's politics involved. There's money involved. Is that an added difficulty that you have to face? You're right. And there are ways of being in that space creatively. So I envisage engaged research as a catalyst. I see research as a catalytic process that enables people to come together and where we respect knowledge in the broadest sense. So everybody comes into a space with their particular knowledge. And when you want to share a future, you need all those knowledges and all those value systems in order to make your way. And so we've developed processes of engagement where principles like everybody having an equal voice and everybody being respected and heard are part of the design of the research. But then we're not content with that. Because it's one thing to design something. You know, you can design a chair and look at it and think it's fabulous. But until this person sitting in the chair tells you that it's comfortable and fabulous, you haven't done it. And so we also do research that asks people, did you understand? Did you feel respected? Were you engaged? And so you have the cycle of learning where the way you work, the design of the way you work, starts to embody your principles and your values. That takes me into a discipline of transdisciplinarity. You know, it matters that your knowledge um, and your academic language can transcend particular disciplines and you can train students to think like that. I was going to ask you about that because transdisciplinarity is something that I've heard you both speak and write about. Can you tell me a bit more for someone who isn't uh, in those circles about what that actually means and how it might work? If you work in a transdisciplinary way, what you're saying is that the problem is in itself integrated and that it is framed out of the people who are experiencing it. So their knowledge is as important as any knowledge of any discipline. And so you find the research questions with the people. You then work concurrently in your disciplines, talking to each other so that you build a picture of the problem and any emergent solutions or loosening of the problem together. Um, I'll tell you a story of two municipalities that are close to each other. So there's Grahamstown, where we live and where the university is founded. And there's also Kirkwood, which is near Addo Elephant National Park, because those two places of working fed into each other. 
So around Kirkwood, there are extremely successful export orange farmers. And they have a very well-organized institution to make water available to orange farmers. And there's enough of it because an interbasin transfer brings orange water down there and there are canals and the oranges thrive. Nearby, there are townships and urban settlements and RDP houses where people either don't have water or experience extremely interrupted water supplies. And I call this the land of happy oranges and unhappy people. Why? And so we started to untangle that. These are some of the skills. We had a water engineer who shared the understanding of the actual infrastructural system of water coming down um, into the Sundays River. We engaged with the municipality and we learned about the laws and policies and practices of a municipality. We had an anthropologist who was um, an ethnographic expert and our student was embedded in that society and schooled in ethnography. The student who came ended up with a PhD in water resource science had done his undergraduate in history and anthropology. And so the history of the place emerged. Then the co-supervisor was a mathematician, an applied mathematician, who was an expert in system dynamics. And so we began to build the picture of the Kirkwood system. And at the same time, this Prof Kevin Rogers had given us processes of engagement um, strategic adaptive management processes and we ran sequential workshops with people in the Kirkwood system building a co-creation of knowledge, a shared future, a space, so that we could shift from a defensive angry municipality who were not getting water, from a defensive angry transformed irrigation board who felt that their, their law required the municipality to come to their meetings and if they didn't come to the meetings they had no responsibility and the municipality who said goodness have you not woken up in South Africa today your responsibility is to help us get water to people to a set of people who are working together to try and solve a problem now I can't tell you that today the problem is solved and this is one of the very serious and very important caveats to research as a catalyst is that we are constrained by time. Our research is funded. If we're lucky in three to five years, these processes take longer than that. And in our experience, when that catalyst is withdrawn too soon, the work to build solutions can crumble. So part of my wondering about the future is sustainability. Kirkwood was reasonably easy because we had an existing research arrangement with Amatola Water and we acquired some research funding, went to them and said, do you have a problem for us to play with? And they threw Kirkwood at us. But we live in Grahamstown. And so it became increasingly important for a university that had a water institute to be involved with local water issues. And we were not domestic supply specialists at all. We are mostly hydrologists and ecologists. But it had become apparent to me in the Kirkwood work that understanding water governance 
to become interested in the institutions that govern water and to work with them towards a broader understanding of water. And the Makana municipality, like many municipalities in small towns, is a municipality under siege. Our historical transition was not and is not easy. And servicing an entire country where you used to only service well-heeled, privileged people who paid easily for those resources is not easy. And expanding the capacity to service places much more broadly than we did before has left us with patches of dysfunctionality, evident patches where things don't work, where one's experience is of things not working. So if you focus the, the catalytic research on strengthening institutions, on that co-creation of knowledge, that engagement in process, that expanding of capacity, I had this vision that this might be one of the keys to sustainability. And it's fraught with difficulty because your municipal officials are in firefighting mode all the time. And the space that they have to engage with process with long-term outcomes and with quite woolly indefinable outcomes when you start to talk, you know, there's this thing of we don't want another talk shop. It's hard, but we have seen actual places that work. So where we are in Grahamstown right at the minute is that out of our work, we now have a, a Makana Water Forum. Now that is a group of stakeholders that includes the municipality, the business community, um, residents from across all the different areas in Grahamstown, the local farming community, everybody who has a water stake, they spend a bit of time working together to construct a local water strategy that they put together. And then, then you engage the institutions like the municipality who have engaged with you in the creation of that in ways that make it work and that are accountable that you watch and that you then help. Now, it's early days. The forum has been meeting for two years. Um, they have a draft catchment strategy. And it's going. Now, if the institute were to withdraw... And if the very able doctoral student who's been doing that were to withdraw without somebody taking over, nobody's going to organize the next meeting. So it is not yet sustainable. And it's because we live in Grahamstown and we might be able to harness and keep working into that space out of an informal, non funded research space that we might contribute to sustainability and research that. Rhodes has a slightly different approach to community engagement than other institutions. It is a much more integrated approach mm -hmm. and I believe that you were quite instrumental in forming some of those ideas. Can you tell me a little bit more about where that thinking came from and why those kinds of decisions were made? I think it came as quite a surprise to academia when it was announced that there would be three pillars to an academic institution, that there would be teaching and learning, which people were very familiar with, that there would be research, which has always been thought of as the privilege of a few, 
And suddenly community engagement. Now, goodness me, how many people either recognized or wanted to have community engagement, whatever that might be, as part of their promotion or part of their activities. And the first idea was, well, okay, I will go on Sunday and speak to the local church group or women's club or rotary club or school and tell them a bit about what I do. And then we might actually take schools out and do things. And then there's the tremendously valuable in-service learning that emerged. But it occurred to us that even when that is superlatively well organized, and, and I do think Rhodes leads the game in that, but in my view that was different from the research we were doing. It was the different from saying a community anywhere comprised of any group of stakeholders could look to academia to involve themselves in their particular intractably difficult life problem and that your research would be engaged with that community intimately from problem formulation to the delivery of results. And it occurred, I can remember thinking, what would I call this? And I thought, well, it must be called engaged research. And I chatted to a, to a fantastic colleague of mine, um, Professor Hela Lotsa-Sitka. We spoke to the director of the um, Community Engagement Centre, and it seemed compelling enough to have a meeting with Dr. Peter Clayton, who's our DVC research, and say to him, if you want a third pillar, this is one of the very strong ways of having it, is that if the research endeavour in the university can be seen to also authentically and academically be called engaged research. I have read somewhere a quote from you that said, water is often a traumatic experience. Oh, yeah. I'm sure everybody listening to this completely understands that, possibly now more than ever. Working where you are working and being so engaged with the communities around you, what are you looking towards now with this kind of research? And, and what are the problems that you know that you've got to solve? As you, as you ask me the question, there are two words that jump into my mind, and they're climate change. Um, change is not only something we all recognise. I think what we don't recognise is the rate of change. I think we have heard about climate change as a threat that might belong to future generations not so close as our beloved grandchildren. I don't think we have thought of climate change impacting on our lives as it accelerates and develops. Now, in South Africa today, there are two kinds of water scarcity. One is primary water scarcity, which means there's not actually enough water. And the second is secondary scarcity, which is failing infrastructure, poor governance, and difficulties with servicing, getting water that there is to people. When those two coincide with an unexpected climate change-related extreme, or an extreme that may we don't yet know is related to climate change. So let's just bring it down to when there's a severe drought and there's not enough water and our services are not good at giving it to people and we come from an unequal history where privileged people are not used to dealing with scarcity and quite honestly are quite cushioned from scarcity and whose behavior is difficult to change and people who have never had water 
So to ask people who have never had water to please save water is a nonsense. But to ask people who have plenty of water not to wash their cars and fill their swimming pools is seen as something of an intrusion. And the enormous disparity of experience makes it difficult to unite people in dealing with sharing this resource. I started out by saying that sharing is hard, and I don't think we've learned it. And so if you ask me what keeps me awake at night, how do I share this notion of social and ecological justice? How do I share that this notion that we can't sustain the environment while people experience unfairness and inequity and poverty? How do we move towards a vision and a value system that envisions a shared future in which we might learn not to be extravagant and where we might not be deprived. And I've tried in all of the forums that we work in, in government, with business, with communities, the resistance to the notion is the fear of what if I run out? And I don't, I don't know the answer, but my hope is that by having that notion of a shared future, by using all of our South African examples of overcoming intractable solutions and situations that seem to drive us into conflict, we might possibly talk our way through it. And don't dismiss the notion of workshops and talking because talking is vastly preferable to conflict. And do you see the kind of approach that you have to your research as part of that? Gee, I hope so. <laughs> to hear other podcasts in this series, search for Engagement in Action on iTunes or go to ru.ac.za forward slash community engagement. Thank you.